0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Steve Carter and was recorded on Sunday, April twenty third, twenty twenty three. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at nine a.m. or eleven a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at @faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org/live. Here's Steve. Well, good morning, FaithBridge. How's everyone doing? It is good to be back. If we've not met, my name is Steve Carter, and yes, I have glasses now. Um, What we call this in my family is consenting to reality. Um, When you can't see the street signs and you think, you know, but your wife's like, you missed the turn. And then you have to say, I know, I missed the turn because I can't see the turn. Um, you know that you need glasses. So, um, But what I've come to realize is, man, so much of life is learning to consent to reality. So many of us, um, we want to run from that, right? And, and that's, that's why I believe the Bible is so important. Because the Bible gets to show us where we are right with God. Where in our own ways we've just kind of detoured and drifted from the ways of Christ. And, and through the spirit and through being together in community and opening up God's word, we can learn how to be people of faith. And so we're going to dive into a bunch of passages. You're going to want to have a Bible. Um, I'm going to invite the service team to come down front. If you need a Bible and you're someone who loves to turn the pages, um, raise your hand. They would love to give you one. But we are going to begin in Acts chapter 6. And if you know a little bit of what's going on in Acts, um, you understand that the church is just beginning to explode. And as it's growing, what ends up happening is you have these kind of Hebraic Jewish converts to Christ and they're, they're literally serving um, people. But, but then all of a sudden you have this whole group of like Hellenistic uh, Christ followers, the people who grew up in like Greek culture and they're coming to faith and, and there became this discrepancy where one group of people wasn't really serving another group of people. We don't know anything like that in America today. <laughs> but like what ends up happening is someone ends up calling foul and says, hey, hey we're missing it we're missing it and, and to the, the the leader's credit I mean they, they've been preaching and and they're serving and they're trying to build the church and 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 they just missed this opportunity to serve some people who really needed it and so kind of the idea was well let's raise up seven people who are going to take care of the widows and of the poor and those who are in need and so this is where we meet a man by the name of Stephen Verse 5, chapter 6, the book of Acts says this. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, which sounds like a pharmaceutical drug. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So they named seven people. One of them gets the title, he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And the other six are working with him. And, and what's amazing is this man, Stephen, became someone who was deeply and profoundly respected. Um, you skip down to verse eight, and all of a sudden, this man who's deeply respected gets into a little bit of trouble. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. We quick time out. Wouldn't it be amazing if the two The first two references of you in the scripture was Sandy, a woman full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Sandy, someone who had power, someone who understood God's grace and performed many signs and wonders. These are the first two references of Stephen. And they're trying to tell you what kind of person, what kind of man, what kind of Christ follower this guy is. Verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, meaning the temple, and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Fascinating. So you got a man who is filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, is profoundly filled with God's grace and power, performing great signs and wonders. When people challenge him and oppose him, he speaks with such wisdom And that's just what is coming out of his life. But then when you actually look at his face, he looks like an angel. And what is he representing? He's representing this reality of what Jesus has fulfilled. He didn't just die on a cross, but he rose three days later. And this is shortly after the resurrection. This is shortly after Jesus ascending back into heaven. And you have to understand that religious leaders died all the time. People proclaimed to be somebody. They died. They ended up being a nobody. But when Jesus died, heaven was just getting started. And the truth is, friends, we as Christ followers, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And once you see Stephen and so many other followers of Jesus in the book of Acts and in in the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, you see Because of the resurrection, they had profound sense of faith and trust that death and evil had been defeated so they could speak to power. They had such hope for tomorrow. They believed that God was present. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They could live in such a way that they weren't afraid to die. But here's the problem. Their one and only life, empowered by the Spirit of God, was going in many ways in direct opposition to the religious system of the day and what the religious leaders saw was that this Jesus was bad for business now, here's what I really want to teach on and there's so many angles that I can teach on from this passage but I think it's really really fascinating and maybe you wrestle with this I know I do in my only in my my life sometimes we can feel threatened We can be threatened by somebody else's greatness. We can be threatened by somebody else's personality. We can be threatened by what someone else brings to a team. We can be threatened. And sometimes when we feel threatened, we don't actually celebrate what God is doing in that person. We try to bring that person down. And sometimes in our attempts of insecurity... (laughs) What ends up kind of coming out of us isn't some of the best stuff. And this can happen within the church. And what I'm going to show you is that it just happens with religious leaders. Um, you, you ever wonder why Jesus died? I mean, like, really, really, really. Why, why did he die? I know you can quote John 3.16. It's an amazing passage. But, like, why, why did he die? And if you think about why he died, really deep down, it's because he raised a man from the dead. If you you really study this, in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, a guy who was dead. And now he's back to life. No no other leader had ever done that. And Jesus does that. And and when somebody can bring somebody back from the dead, people start talking. Because that that becomes news. People start to be like, well, he was dead. Now he's alive. How did that happen? And and all of a sudden we're like, man, we, we went to your funeral, and now you're at the marketplace. <laughs> Either you faked us out, but you were dead. But now you're how? Oh, Jesus. Well, who's this Jesus? And, and just think about it, all of a sudden, this whole system had like been kind of created and manufactured. In a way where people had to play a certain role and Jesus shows up and he, and he honors the system but he does it different. And people don't actually want to join with the different, what God is doing. And what ends up happening is they see Jesus not as the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, the rabbi of all rabbis, the teacher of all teachers, the savior of the planet. They see him as a threat. Look at John chapter 11. And look what the scriptures say in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Because when someone comes back to the life, they yeah, usually believe the guy who made that happen. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man, they can't even say his name, performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So so think about this. Right now you have these religious leaders who are like, what are we doing? This guy's bad for business. If we keep on letting, who else knows who he's going to bring back from the dead and who he's going to heal and how he's going to feed fire? The stories of this guy, we got to contain this thing because it's going to be bad. Now, what's amazing, what's amazing is um, a number of years ago, I got, I got this free ticket to go listen to this, this incredible leader. Um, her name is Carly Fiorina, and, and she, she used to be like uh, with HP, and uh, she had run for, for political office. And I, I somehow got into this room, and, and she was talking about leadership, and um, she finished her presentation. It was great. And then she says, does anyone have a question? And, and, and nobody had a question. And I was young and dumb enough to raise my hand. And, and I, I was like, I got a question. Um, and she's like, yes, young man. And I was like, that's very nice. And so I said, um, ma'am, I, I have a question. Um, when, whenever your change is happening, why is it so difficult for people to actually go along with change? Like Why, why when there's transition or change, why, why, why is it so difficult? Why do people almost feel stuck? Can you, can you speak to that? And she said, good question. I said, thank you. And she said, uh, you know, what's amazing is whenever there's change, it doesn't matter how emotionally intelligent the person is. It doesn't matter where that person went to college. It doesn't matter how spiritually deep that person is. Whenever there is change, the primary question that most of humanity asks is this. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for me? And the religious leaders are really asking an honest and human question. When they see Jesus doing something that they can't do, they find themselves going, what does this mean for me? And you got to understand that the religious leaders, they had political power because they had been handpicked, a couple of them, by Rome to kind of ensure that the Jewish people actually behaved. So they had a sense of political power. They could actually connect with the Roman leadership. They also had financial power because they controlled what happened at the temple. How much animals were sold for. Money changing. Money lending. They had financial power. So they had political power. They had financial power. But they also had religious power because they were seen as like the leaders of the leaders. They were like the chief priests. They were like the, the Sanhedrin. They were the people who could tell someone, you are not clean. You are clean. You are holy. You are not holy. You can enter the temple. You cannot enter the temple. They had political power. They had financial power. They had religious power. But here's the thing. They didn't have resurrection power. And they felt threatened. So look what the scriptures continue on and say. It says this, verse 49. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So the prophecy was there. There's going to be one man. And he dies to bring everyone together so that they can have access to God. No, 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 no. That jacks with our political power, our financial power, and our religious power. We don't want to do it. And so they plotted to kill him. Isn't it amazing what happens when we're insecure and we just don't want to join what Jesus is up to? When we feel so threatened, we can't actually be grateful and cheer and bless on another person. We just feel so kind of, oh man, my, that person's encroaching on my gifting or my talent or my, my job or, 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 or my kind of parental like love I mean I'm feeling this right now because my son he just was in his first high school musical he's a freshman and they did footloose and my nine-year-old daughter who she basically runs our house Um, (laughs) she's 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 amazing but she now has had to go to a couple performances and she had to watch her brother shine and she did not like that (laughs) I mean, midway through, you know, I need a hero. You know, just like in the middle of that song, she's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to stay. We haven't even got to intermission. Yeah, I think I'm done. I think I just would like to go home now. I'm like, no, you're here to cheer on your brother. Yeah, he doesn't know. He can't see me. It's okay. I'm, gonna, I'm like, no, you have to learn how to cheer someone on. What's it really about? Well, like, why, why are we here watching him? Well, when you're up performing someday, if that ever happens, or playing in a game, we're going to cheer you on. Like, that's, that's a, like a muscle you have to grow in. But you can feel like the rest of that f- opening night, just the shaking of the leg, like, I will sit here and take this, but I wish I was on that stage. <laughs> it's amazing, right? And I think what's, what's, what's fascinating is for many of us, what do we actually do when we feel threatened. Like when our kids get the attention of our spouse more than we get it. Or when the boss gives more attention to a coworker than us. Or when a parent seems to enjoy hanging out with one sibling over another. How do we handle that? And for many of us, we don't handle it well. And what ends up happening is bitterness starts to grow up. And instead of joining up with what God is doing and trying to heal and make us whole, we sometimes resist and push back and allow bitterness to win out. Go with me back to Acts chapter 7, because I want you to see something in the life of Stephen. Now, Stephen from Acts 7, when he gets dragged in front of the, the Sanhedrin, he, he basically offers up like a, one of the longest sermons um, in all of the scriptures. He, he, he goes to town. And, and towards the end of it, um, he basically calls them, you stiff-necked people. Which is just a great line. But it, he, he just starts trying to connect the Old Testament to what Jesus did. He's answering all of their questions. And he answers it brilliantly. But it gets to the point where these religious leaders, just like the same in the book of John, they don't want to join with what God is up to. And look what it says in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Like they don't want, they don't want to say something inappropriate or unholy. So they just look at him and just start grinding their teeth. Which is so weird if you just saw a bunch of old religious men doing that at you. You speak like that's literally what they're doing. And you're like, grow up. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, doesn't even look at them. Look what it says. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That is like the most amazing counter. Guys gnashing their teeth at you, like just growling and you're like, Look, heaven's open. The invitation to join with what Jesus is doing. And there he is, the son of man, Jesus, the right hand of God. And look what it says, verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling now at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They're like, you know what? The the gnashing of teeth isn't working. We're going to cover our ears And scream as loud as we can, and now we're going to drag him out of town. Verse 58, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, whenever you were stoned back then, you would be dragged out to a point in the city, usually one of the highest points to a cliff, and they would throw you over. You would drop down probably 25 to 30 feet, two or three stories. And if you survived that, then all of the religious leaders then would pick up stones and just begin to start pelting you. And the velocity, when you're three stories higher and can throw down, that hurts. And all of a sudden, Stephen is going to die by stoning. Now, what I want you to understand is something. is: for some of us as people of faith. I think every one of us wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God's grace, filled with his power, filled with faith wise words come out of our mouth that when people look at us they see the the face of an angel but yet when we live like this there's sometimes it's going to be a threat to other people or when we see people in our small group or in our life live like this sometimes they're going to be a threat to us and here's what I need you to understand is a person's behavior is not always about you the religious leaders' behavior towards Stephen wasn't about Stephen; it was about their insecurity. It wasn't about Stephen; it was about how they weren't willing to actually join with what God was doing on the planet. It really wasn't about Stephen as much as it was about them not wanting to lose their semblance of power. And the truth is, is in the marketplace in your family in a relationship, when someone misbehaves, it's not always about you. Their behavior and their action towards you is terrible. No, don't get me wrong, but it's usually not about you. It's about something else. But now you are left, how are you gonna handle this? How are you gonna handle this? And if you remember Jesus on the cross, how does he handle it? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. They don't know that they're actually killing the Messiah. They don't actually understand what you have asked me to do. Father, forgive them. What an incredible prayer. And in the face of getting stoned, where rocks are coming at your head, and you're on your knees for for Stephen to cry out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them makes me understand something is yes people's behavior it's not always about you but what becomes your responsibility is your f- ability to forgive and the truth is is forgiveness is a solo sport it's a solo sport reconciliation that's a team sport you need multiple people to reconcile but forgiveness is god's gift to you and here's what i mean is for many of us we have been stacking grievances for years and years, and years, and it is taking up precious real estate in our head, and in our heart, and in our body, and ever since the jump of scriptures, God has been teaching us how we can literally be free, because he understands when we don't practice forgiveness, that unforgiveness becomes seeds where bitterness, rage, anger, gossip, slander, begin to come out of our mouth. And instead of seeing the face of an angel, we see something wildly different. And forgiveness is your responsibility. Forgiveness is my responsibility. And truth be told, every single day, I practice forgiveness. I forgive myself for some things. I wish I wouldn't have said that. Lord, forgive me. I confess that. But then I I have people in my life who hurt me. I have people who let me down in the day-to-day, and I have to practice forgiving them. And what I'm forgiving them is really just not letting them take up and live rent-free in my mind and in my body. It's basically saying, God, they're yours. This situation is yours. I I don't want that. I want to walk in freedom. I want to live in shalom and in peace in Christ. I want to be someone of unconditional love and transformation because of the spirit. I don't want to be someone of rage and slander that looks like Facebook. I I want to be a disciple. See, forgiveness is a solo sport. And Jack Canfield, a leadership guru, has this axiom that he's basically told many people. It's so brilliant to me. E plus R equals O. Which means this, the events plus response equals outcome. And you don't control the events that happen to you. Most of the time, life does what life does. The only thing that you control is your response. And how you choose to respond to the events that come at you every single day will determine the outcome. If you end up saying, you know what, I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hold on to this one. You're going to become bitter. What kind of outcome will you be? A bitter man. You know what? Oh, that's what she did? And here's how oh, I'm gonna respond. I'm just gonna gossip. What are you gonna become? The outcome is you're just gonna transfer your pain and then start to gossip about another person. And what do you become? A gossiper. But man, when you actually become someone who recognizes, yeah, life happens. And people sometimes misbehave and and they don't act the way that's grounded in love and and they're threatened and they're insecure and they they, they say things or do things that's not okay and I'm not like validating their bad behavior. I'm just saying I don't want that to take up my head space and heart space. So I choose to actually surrender that at the foot of the cross. What about you? And and I, I wonder maybe maybe for some of us, the bravest prayer is what Stephen prayed when he simply prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And if you read the scripture right, he had fallen to his knees and he's looking up at heaven. And I imagine just rocks are just zooming by his face. And he says those words. Lord, do not hold this sin against them it's amazing as being a pastor for 20 some years sometimes i'll hear people say man i'm just so angry at the church and i'm like are you angry at the church are you angry at a couple people in the church name them you're not mad at the church you're mad at a couple people who didn't represent or represent christ well i get that i'm just so mad at this company are you really mad at this company we're just mad at like a person who led, and like I'm just so mad at her. And the problem is, is sometimes we don't actually know how to first name and let go of that ache. And the truth is, for many of us, we actually feel very, very comfortable having a whole bunch of bitterness and anger in our body because we get energy from it, and we can be angry and we can be frustrated and we can just feel it. And sometimes, sometimes that feels good. You know what's actually a better feeling? Peace, freedom, when you actually can exhale. and Even though someone acted in a certain way, you can just say, I get it, I see it, I bless you. Because I recognize I was forgiven too. Because I was forgiven, I want to give that away. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Because for me, I don't want to be someone who holds on to old stuff anymore. And so I took that prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And you know what I started to do is I, I, I just started to kind of change the prayer a little bit. And here's, here's what it looks like. Lord, do not hold blank against blank. And I just started to fill this out. So when there's someone who, who's hurt me, and I got about five people that I have to regularly, pretty much every day, every week, have to like just forgive them. But I but I I say, Lord, do not hold, and then I try to name their sin, that abandonment, against, and I name that person. I don't want them to live in here. I don't want seeds of bitterness or anger towards that person. You forgave me. Help me to forgive them. And just in that process, I just feel so connected to the cross, to the way of Jesus. What about for you? My friend who's a counselor said. He came up to me one day and goes, you know, 75% of the people who come into my office are really trying to process and learn how to forgive people. He said, if you taught people how to forgive people, I'd be out of a job. I was like, well, you're getting 225 bucks an hour, man. I need your job. <laughs> but, but, I, but you think about this, right? For many of us, we, in, we as Christ followers... We ought to be the best in the planet because we understand grace, we understand peace, we understand the importance of forgiveness. But for many of us, we're just stacking grievances. What if we could just learn? Learn the art that Jesus taught us. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Lord, do not hold this sin against blank. I'm choosing to walk in forgiveness, to embody forgiveness because forgiveness isn't just about them, it's really about us. Because the more that we are connected to forgiveness, the more I guarantee you, you will walk in faith. Because forgiveness is tied to our faith. We've been forgiven. The more that we walk in forgiveness, we're actually gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit because we've not let something else live rent free, but we're opening our lives for more of the Holy Spirit. The more that we will live out and embody forgiveness, the more that we'll walk with God's grace, The more that we actually embody forgiveness, the more power we'll have because nothing can shake us. The more that we are able to forgive, the more that people will look at our life. And when we respond with grace and peace, people will be like, that's wise. When we actually live like that, people will see not bitterness and anger and rage on our face. They will see that our life looks more and more like the cross. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive right now? And here's the truth, here's the truth. Some of you, some of you, man, you've experienced some profound trauma. And let me just say this it's it's not a one time act in forgiveness. For many of us, it's ongoing. You're forgiving a spouse, you're forgiving a family member, you're forgiving a friend, you're forgiving someone that hurts you. That's, that's huge. Some of you are sitting in this room going, I got no one to forgive. And that's either because you have mastered the art of forgiveness, which means next week you should be preaching, <laughs> or your life is wildly too safe. Because we as Christ followers ought to be bumping up with people who offend us. And we continue to show them what the way of Jesus is. So where are you? Who do you need to forgive? You either need to begin the process or continue the process today. You've either mastered it or you're someone that might be living too safe. But I just wanna pray right now. I wanna pray that you might just allow God to begin to whisper to you, maybe a name, a face, a place, an experience, maybe something from your childhood, maybe something from last week or last year, just has been living rent-free, maybe God's just gonna invite you to just let that go right now. God, we come before you. And forgiveness is no joke. But I'm so humbled by the fact that, God, you gave for us. You give for us in the name of Jesus. And even before Christ came, you gave this idea of forgiveness so that we would be at one with you. But for many of us, we're at one with the anger or at one with the bitterness or at one with the the past. And when we forgive, we align our life with you and the way of the cross. So Holy Spirit, I know that you love this space and places like this. I'm asking that you would just begin to whisper, to bring to mind that this would be a safe space to hear, to be honest and human, and to allow for us to experience the goodness of your presence. That we love you and we trust you. Set us free.